Hi there, my name is Meg. Welcome to the Unedited Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so glad to have you here. The goal of this podcast is to help you develop and enjoy the habit of daily Bible reading and prayer. About 20 years ago, at a very low spot in my life when I was completely disillusioned, I began this simple discipline and I looked up years down the road and saw all the amazing things that God had done through the habit of daily getting my heart into His presence and into His Word. And so over the years, it's really just become my greatest passion to not only see people born into the kingdom of God, but from that moment to develop a relationship with Jesus through the habit of Bible reading and prayer. I'm hoping to help you see the Word of God with fresh eyes, to slow down with your Bible, to realize that it's not a checklist item, it's not boring, and ultimately, I'd love to see you fall in love with your Bible. So again, thanks for being here today. So glad to have you. Today, I'm going to share just a couple of tips about establishing a consistent time and a consistent place for this habit. This is very essential if you're going to establish and maintain this habit long-term in your life. So the first tip is just to be consistent. As everybody knows, we live in a world where we hit the ground running and we don't stop unless we're going to scroll social media feeds or mindlessly binge on Netflix. We just are very busy. Our schedules are jam-crammed for the most part. And therefore, it is going to require a lot of intentionality and a lot of consistency to develop this habit in your life. You need to find somewhere where you can consistently meet with Jesus. The second tip is to reduce distractions. This needs to be a place where you can be unhurried and undistracted. With that said, I'm going to make a shameless pitch for early mornings. I think you should at least try early mornings. There is a natural reduction of distractions when it's still dark, when it's still quiet, when all your notifications are not going off from email, from text, from a hundred other sources. There is something so special about choosing to wake up in the dark stillness of morning and to spend time with God, and I really have found it can't be matched at any other time of the day. It helps set the tone for your day, I really sort of see it like God putting a lens on me or putting on a pair of glasses that I see everything through a lot more clearly. Steve Willoughby once said, God hands out assignments in the morning, and I believe that. Now, again, I want to tell you morning is not a rule, but there is a lot of scriptural support for early morning prayer. We see a lot of great men in the Bible who did get up early in the morning to pray. However, David said, evening, morning, and at noon will I pray and cry aloud. And we see that Daniel prayed three times a day. And so anytime you choose to establish this habit is going to be a decision that you will never regret. But reducing the distractions is going to go a long way in helping you establish and keep and continue in this habit long term. So number one, be consistent. Number two, reduce distractions. Try early mornings. And number three, find a usual place. Yesterday I had a friend text me about Daniel and she was talking about when the decree was signed that no one could pray to any god besides King Darius or they'd be thrown into the lion's den. And she said this, she said, 
that in the New Living translation, it says he went home and knelt down as usual. And she just texted and said, I love that he knelt down as usual. Let my knees be sore and crusty from kneeling down as usual. I second that. Let me have a usual place. So in choosing a usual time and place to connect with God, you are establishing just a space for relationship to be fostered, developed, and enjoyed. God wants to be enjoyed. And that still blows me away that the God of heaven and earth wants to have a relationship with me. That is not a checklist item. That is an incredible privilege. And I am willing to set aside time to allow for that in my life. It is such a special, such an incredible thing that he wants to be enjoyed, that he desires relationship with us. And so really with finding a usual time and place, there's no exact formula. You're going to have to just start trying things, start checking things off. It's going to be a process of trial and error, but keep trying. You will find a place that becomes your usual. Just make up your mind that there's going to be a spot that Jesus knows he's going to find you there every day at that time. Let your kids know that's going to be where they'll find you when they wake up or that's going to be where they're going to find you when they come home from school. There is really just something so special about, again, being consistent, reducing distractions, and having a usual place. It's going to go a long way in helping you keep this habit fresh in your life. And so again, be flexible as you're trying to figure this out. Don't beat yourself up. Keep at it. You're establishing a habit. There's going to be times you're going to fall off the bandwagon. You're going to miss days. I remember missing a few weeks one time early on in this habit. And I was so beating myself up. And I talked to a very dear friend. And she just encouraged me to start again. And I remember where I was during that phone call where we had this conversation. And it was such an encouragement to me. And so if you miss a day, if you miss a week, get on the bandwagon again. Just get back up. Just start again start over. There's going to be a battle to establish this. It's going to be a little bit of a struggle initially, but it is going to come eventually to be the very best part of your day, and you're not going to want to miss it. So just want to reiterate that. Be consistent, reduce distractions, and find a usual place. This is about finding somewhere where you're going to foster a relationship with the king of heaven and earth. What an incredible privilege Today, I'm going to share a journal entry called At His Feet. And so here we go, At His Feet. Now it came to pass, as they went, that he entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about with much serving, And came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me alone to serve? Bid her therefore that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, you are careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary has chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. That's Luke 10, 38-42. What an insightful scene plays out in this text. 
From several places in the gospel, we know that Jesus was at least a little bit of a regular guest at the house of Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. His visits appear to have been quite the flurry of activity for one of the two sisters, cooking, cleaning, and serving. Jesus, the God of all creation, robed in flesh, has just walked through the door, and Martha just keeps on hustling and bustling. King James uses three words in this short passage to describe her, cumbered, careful, and troubled. The rabbi, of whom it was said, no man ever spake like this man, had just stepped into her home, and she was distracted with service. The word cumbered here literally means to draw away, distract, to be driven about mentally, to be distracted. Serving is commendable. Being a servant is even the mark of greatness in the kingdom of God. But Martha didn't know when to stop. She didn't know when to serve and when to sit. But in stark contrast, the second sister, Mary, lays aside her dishcloth and broom. Once Jesus is settled in the living room, she could be found at the feet of Jesus. Some saw this as lazy. Martha is outraged and indignant, so much so that she went straight into the living room and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister isn't helping me and that I'm serving alone? Tell her to get back in the kitchen, please. But instead of sending Mary back to serve, he dignified and elevated her decision and gently chided Martha. My dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. He then continued on. But one thing is needful. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. Mary has chosen that good part. The customs and viewpoints of women in that day would certainly have reinforced Martha's request for Mary to serve. But Jesus honored Mary and commended Mary's choice to sit instead of serve. With one sentence, Jesus shot down cultural norms and Martha's complaints and elevated Mary's decision to hear his word. He simultaneously validated women and elevated his word over her work. Let me just stop right here and say it will always be easier to serve than to sit. Serving is tangible, it is obvious, it has immediate results, and it is able to be seen. Sitting, on the other hand, is intangible with results below the surface that won't be readily obvious for some time to come. There is not always immediate gratification, but sitting and hearing his words truly produces eternal results. As Jesus said of Mary, it will not be taken away from her. No one can ever undo the effects of her sitting. No one can steal it. No one can have it. It is her treasure to be carried into eternity. The investment of time at his feet is without risk, and the return on that investment is priceless. The deposit of his word while there can never be taken away. It is truly that good part. This doesn't mean we don't serve. It just means we need to know when to serve and when to sit. When Jesus walks in the room, we take off our apron and we get as close to him as possible. The time at his feet hearing his words will fuel and fund the service required of us. We will ultimately be better at service because we first chose to sit. This is not the only time Mary was at the feet of Jesus. In John chapter 11, we see the very famous story of Lazarus, 
Mary, and Martha's brother, who falls sick. Mary and Martha send word for Jesus to come, but Jesus delays and emphatically stated that the sickness is not unto death, but for God's glory. Verses 5 and 6 states that he loved this family, but that he waited. His love did not cause him to run to them with an immediate answer to prayer in the way that they'd hoped. Two days after the request for him to come, Jesus finally gets up to go to Bethany, knowing that Lazarus is already dead. Jesus arrives, and Lazarus has already been dead for four days. Martha and Mary hear that Jesus is now come, and Martha goes to meet him. A conversation ensues between the two of them, but though Martha speaks faith, she seems somehow unmoved. Then Jesus asked for Mary. He asked for that sweet lady who had sat at his feet. She, Martha, went her way and called Mary her sister secretly, saying, The Master is come and calleth for thee. As soon as Mary heard this, she arose quickly and came to him. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was, she fell down at his feet. Mary went as low as she could. She got to that place she loved to be. Mary said the same exact thing that Martha said, but she said it at his feet, weeping. And instead of a dissertation on the resurrection, Mary got results. Mary's tears and her position at his feet moved the master. When Jesus saw her weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And then Jesus asked a question, where have they laid him? Martha's statements had caused Jesus to call for Mary, but Mary's statement had caused Jesus to call for Lazarus. Mary's tears at his feet moved Jesus into action and they moved his heart. John 11:35 says Jesus wept. Though Jesus already knew the end of the story, Mary's tears pricked his pain in the middle of the story. Mary's choice to get to his feet made way for the miraculous and Lazarus is raised from the dead. When we need a miracle, we must, like Mary, get to his feet. In the beginning of Lazarus' story, the Bible specifies which Mary his sister was. John eleven twelve says, It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair. You see, there is a third story in the gospel. The gospels about Mary at the feet of Jesus. In John 12, just before his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, Jesus is again at dinner in the home of Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. Martha served, surprise, Lazarus sat with him, but Mary, then Mary took a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. I've written about this story so many times and I could go so many directions, but for now, I will just point out that she got to his feet. She took her most prized possession, very costly as the Bible states, and she broke it for him. She anointed the feet of Jesus. We so often ask for him to anoint us, but she flipped the script. And anointed him. She could have served. She could have asked for a place at the table, but instead she went to that place she loved and she worshiped. Her tears, her oil, and her hair washed his feet. 
It was unconventional, possibly scandalous, but Jesus does not stop her. He will never stop us from getting to his feet. Judas calls it a waste, but Jesus said to leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. Jesus, again, honors Mary's place at his feet. Mary heard his word at his feet. Mary wept in the wake of grief and facing impossibility at his feet. And Mary worshiped at his feet with all she had. We will never regret time at his feet. It is, as Jesus said, that good part that shall not be taken away. Whatever the season, let me be found at his feet. So again, that's just a little journal entry I wrote called At His Feet. I have been so personally impacted by the stories of Mary of Bethany and her response to Jesus. And I'm sorry for the tears. I just, I'm very moved by her love for the master. And Mary knew the power of spending time with Jesus. Time is such an important element of establishing this habit. Not only having a consistent time of place, but investing a lot of time in this habit. Let your relationship with Jesus be the thing that your schedule and your calendar is built around. Several years ago at NAYC, I heard Aaron Bounds say, for the fire to fall in Elijah's day, or Elijah's day, he had to pour what was precious on the altar. Water was precious in his day, and time is precious in our day. He said, if we're gonna see the fire fall in our day, We will have to pour time on the altar. And so don't be afraid, again, to build your calendar around this habit. I encourage you to spend copious amounts of time with Jesus. Time wasted on him is never wasted time. Sit with him, even if you're not talking, even if you're not reading his word, just sit. Learn to develop that habit of stilling yourself before him, that habit of getting to his feet, Carve out time for relationship. You cannot rush relationship. So thank you again so much for joining me today, for being here as a part of this journey. I look forward to meeting up with you next Friday. If you have questions or to download a typed or handwritten manuscript of today's entry, please visit megunedited.com. For now, go grab your Bible and your journal I'm looking forward to the power of this habit in your life. This is unedited. This is for you. Happy Friday.